following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 91, an interview with Nancy Spielberg of Above and Beyond, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm Carl Valerian. I'm your host this evening. We have a really special show, something I'm extremely excited about. But before we get into that, I want to welcome Rick Felty. Welcome, Rick. Hello, hello, hello. And Rick is from the Com- Coming to you from the planet Hoth. <laughs> Here outside, outside. Tell me how Boston. cold it is, Rick. Well, uh, now it's it's not it's not zero yet tonight, but it's on its way. Well, cool. let me look. I can look right over. I've got the read. It's uh, it's still in the double digits. It's thirteen. But last night, I mean, this morning I woke up and it was negative eight, which is pretty unusual for Boston. Wow! And the winds up there, I'm sure, yeah. were pretty high recently. Yeah, and overnight last night up in just a little further north into New Hampshire, Vermont, it was you know it was actual temperatures in the negative twenties and stuff, which just is crazy. That is crazy. That it's is a crazy, crazy winter. We and and don't I, I'll tell you the story offline, but we ran out of heating oil last night. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a oops by the uh, oil guys, but they responded and we were fine. But, awesome. Oh my awesome. goodness, that's like that's never happened. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an unprecedented winter here. Yeah, it's time to preheat the engine. And there you go. Uh, actually, another part of the country where they have to preheat the engines now, which gosh, I never. Would have thought of is uh, where Sean Moody is. Hey, Sean, where are you? Where are you actually? Where are you today? Oh, in Lexington, Central Kentucky, and it's it's well, I'd say in the teens, twenties right now, which feels much better than the minus yeah. teens that we had a, a week or two ago. It's <laughs> I'll take this if uh, if that's the alternative. <laughs> well, Sean, I've been following you on Facebook. You have really experienced some weather in the past week. Oh, yeah. We've had, um, depending on where in Kentucky you were, it was anywhere from 5 to 18 inches of snow and a little bit of sleet, a little bit of ice. Um, so I am very happy right now to be warm in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually warm in her house in the Pucolic Hills of Maryland is Victoria Newell. Yes. Hi. <laughs> How are we doing, Victoria? You know what? I feel for Rick with uh, his... Um, heating problem we actually had a pipe break and uh, we had eight people in the house we were snowed in and it was quite an adventure putting everyone to work to clean up the flooding in the basement and then plow us out of the house so wow thank goodness we had lots of guests i saw i saw that you learned to use your snowblower and that you're now going to learn to use your Riding lawnmower? Or no, something. I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> oh yeah, that's lawn. right. I missed that detail. I was, I, was, I was pulling for Bob in that one, but I guess yeah. that's not going to happen. I keep getting stuck <laughs> doing the snow blowing because he happens to be out of town every time there's a major snow event. Yeah, yeah it's good And to then know. it's all up to me. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know how to use the snow blower. I've. It's, <laughs> I think it was my fifth time this year. So right. Yeah. Well, I, I luckily got to do a little bit of flying in the New York area and all that snow, and that was a blast. And I, I was reminded what uh, de-ice fluid tastes like. T- tastes like yes uh, how so i can't say i've so, tasted that so when you're uh, when you're walking around an airplane in pre-flooding don't 
open your mouth. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Always keep it closed, especially when stuff is dripping off of it. That was horrible. Oh my Ouch. god! I, I, to be honest with you, I really hope it was de ice fluid. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> it wasn't blue. Oh no! <laughs> so that's my winner story. <laughs> but, but moving on from that, let's do the pre-flight. Uh, but anyway, guys, welcome and and uh, to to the audience, welcome and I really appreciate your comments and feedback, especially on the air shows. Sounds like uh, you really enjoyed a lot of that, and you enjoyed uh, our last episode too. Uh, Tupper sure is something else; uh, really is a character. Also, a quick note: um, uh, thanks for all the condolences. My my mom passed away recently, and uh, I I've had a great outpouring from our audience. And uh, thanks thanks for all that. Uh, amazingly enough, she was not at all interested in my career in aviation or anything to do with aviation, but but uh, was well supportive of it. And now she's watching me fly from high above with angel's wings. So uh, quick shout out there. Anyway, uh, first got to move into our announcements. We have a few announcements today. I know that, uh, Sean, you have an interesting announcement. Yeah, Thunder Over Louisville is quickly approaching. It's uh, probably the biggest air show uh, in the in the Kentucky area, anyway. Uh, every year, it's a kickoff to the annual Derby celebration. So for several weeks before the Kentucky Derby starts, they've got all kinds of celebrations. Thunder kicks it off. It's a big all day air show, and then a a, a massive fireworks celebration at the end of it. And uh, this year, the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds are going to be headlining. So it's not too often that we get military jet teams. Uh, here in the bluegrass so april 18th 2015 over in louisville if anybody's in the area go check it out can't go wrong with that and, and i think he downplayed a little bit the fireworks there my gosh that oh, is the yeah, most incredible <laughs> show they're they're huge i've only i usually I, I i work a little bit early on sunday mornings, so i don't usually stay for the fireworks i just watch the airplanes and then beat the crowd home but if you can stay for the fireworks it it's just incredible i oh. mean it, it goes it goes for like a half hour and it's perfectly uh orchestrated to music and i mean you you just sit there and it, you know for 10 minutes afterward going what in the world did i just see was that real <laughs> oh yeah it's wild you'll sit there with your mouth open it's like disney vegas and new york on july 4th all yeah up exactly just exactly phenomenal phenomenal yeah and it's uh thunderoverlouisville.org is the website by the way thunderoverlouisville okay we'll have a link to that in the show notes and uh, stuckmikeavcast.com uh slash 91 well thanks for that sean and victoria victoria you have a uh an announcement or yeah, um, my announcement is actually a gigantic, gigantic thank you to all the volunteers who came out to my Paws and Planes event this past weekend, which was Saturday the 21st. It was an event we did to promote the Turbo the Flying Dog series and also get the children excited and interested in aviation and um, educate them about pet rescue. It uh, had a very small turnout due to the fact that during the event we got seven inches of snow. But several brave families still came out, and we had about 20 children that got to have one-on-one, hands-on experience at all of our activities. They didn't have to wait in lines, and they got to talk directly to the activity coordinators and really get some one-on-one education, which made it a very special event. So I just want to thank all the volunteers who were just so passionate about this and excited to share you know, what they loved doing with these kids despite the weather. And Turbo played a vital role in that, right? 
Yeah, Turbo had, um, he was selling books and he actually um, had a photo opportunity area with the AOPA sweepstakes plane. So people there got to get their picture taken with Turbo. And it, while we were waiting for kids to show up and families to show up, actually, a lot of the volunteers went there and took selfies with Turbo. He even got fan mail brought to him at the event. So um, it, was, it was some great publicity for the book. And I had a very tired dog at the end of the day. I'm sure. And hey, if Turbo's listening right now, I got a little advice for him. Oh you know, yeah. Keep it. Yes, he he seems to be coming very confident. I can tell in the pictures. He's like, <laughs> "Listen, mom, I got this. Don't worry. I can do this shot." And uh, you know, you got to keep it real. Keep it humble. And, uh, you know, just always keep humble in life. I know you're a big star now, uh, but don't let it go to your head. You know, just, just try to keep it real. And he's, uh, I mean, he is a terrific star. He's, he's got some incredible stage presence now. And I know he, you've been coaching him a little bit on that, I'm sure. We're hoping the fame won't change him. But, yeah, you can see those pictures um, online on his Facebook or my um, Facebook. They're public as well. And he, he's, he definitely had this I got this attitude, you can see. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was funny. There was one there. And, and my friends and I were going to take it and send it back to you we didn't do this we weren't that creative but it was gonna say hey you know chicks dig me you know and put it at the bottom of it <laughs> exactly that that's him for sure he knows it well awesome that's terrific well thanks for those uh announcements we also of course have the announcement that coming up soon is uh, sun and fun and we're gonna have a live show from there and part of that live show we're gonna tell a little bit of a love story a little bit of a teaser there and well it actually has to do with one of the co-hosts here. Just uh, quite a bit of a teaser and going to tell us a little bit about the start of a relationship due to sun and fun. And that could go with any of us, really. Now entering cruise flight. So anyway, moving right, right along. Again, this is going to be a lot of fun. We have something really cool for you this episode. Uh, I was able to uh, get in, or was asked to do, I should say, asked to do an interview uh, with Nancy Spielberg, and she did a movie called Above and Beyond. And Nancy's done some really interesting projects in the past, uh, but this project is uh, it's a documentary, but it's a, it's a feature-length film. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to that interview. We're all going to listen to the interview and then comment a little bit on that interview. Uh, I had so much fun listening to her uh, even prior to the interview. Uh, just She's just a pip, just a lot of fun. So I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's go ahead and we'll roll the interview, and we'll talk to you uh, after the interview's done. Welcome, this is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. I'm here with Nancy Spielberg, and she's the producer of Above and Beyond, the movie. Above and Beyond is an incredible story, a story that, you know, many people don't know about. It's a story that's about sacrifice, a little chutzpah, and, and also it, it's a story about America. Nancy Welcome to Sun and Fun Radio. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be with you. <laughs> you know, Nancy, let's try to set the stage. This is a part of our history. This goes back to 1948. The war is over. 1945, we had the war, end of the war. And, right. and now we're looking at 1948. Now, why is this period so important? Well, what's, what's incredible with this period, and of course we focused on a small handful of people, but um, and our guys, our pilots, came back from World War II, and some of them highly decorated pilots, and then they tried to get their life on track. And from going to, you know, like celebrated heroes with their, you know, flight jackets and women swooning, they're suddenly selling shoes and insurance, and they're supposed to be, you know, getting married and having two and a half children and coming home for their five o'clock cocktail. 
but they were not satisfied. They could not find their way. Uh, most of the pilots we interviewed also were Jewish, and they couldn't get jobs. They could not get jobs in commercial airlines. That was a, a problem. For some reason, they weren't hiring Jewish pilots. So um, around that time, Israel, it was still Palestine, was voted into statehood. And everybody knew the British were pulling out because they were the ones you know, that were occupying Palestine. And everybody knew that there was going to be a war in the Middle East and that Israel, um, although it accepted a partition plan set forth by the UN for a two-state solution, the uh, Arab countries that surrounded Israel refused and vowed to fight. And Israel had no way to defend itself. It had never been able to arm itself under British rule. It had no planes except for a couple of Piper Cubs, you know, just light planes, um, no air force. Hardly any bullets. Maybe, I don't even know if they had a tank. And here we have these pilots in America that just came back from liberating the, the camps in, in, in Germany, and they saw the situation that was brewing. They saw survivors from the Holocaust coming into Israel, these refugees, and they saw another potential genocide. They weren't satisfied with their lives in America, and they felt it was their duty to go and fight on Israel's behalf. And actually what they did is they said they're never going to win a war if they don't have an air force. And one man in particular, Al Schwimmer, was the mastermind. So as a vet, he could buy surplus planes. He recruited his buddies. He used to work at TWA, recruited his buddies, bought C-46s, stuffed them full of, of, of ammunition and, you know, much needed cargo recruited pilots and started to fly these things, which became illegal because it was against an embargo in the U.S. to Palestine. And then these guys actually flew and fought in Israel's War of Independence. That's sort of the background. <laughs> yes. Now, now, the one thing that I guess we need to clarify is that during this period, actually, uh, the British were there and, and defending uh, all the Jews and, and everybody in, the, in Palestine. Now, they had they had moved out during this period, correct? Right. And that's why there was no Air Force. There was nobody there to defend them. So they had to form their own. And, and this, this, of course, is the story of, of the formation of, of the Israeli Air Force. And just, just amazing what you just said. They just had a couple little uh, aircraft. And, uh, you know, how in the world did they get the aircraft there? Well, you know, and it's crazy. And by the way, the Egyptians had a tremendous Air Force, comparatively speaking. Um, the British left their Spitfires. They actually sold them more um, planes. So what happened, there was one country in the world that helped Israel, and it was Czechoslovakia. And Czechoslovakia had been making Messerschmitts. The Germans had a factory there uh, producing Messerschmitts during the war. After the war, the Czechoslovakians continued to make Messerschmitts. So they agreed to sell Israel uh, these planes. But, of course, there's no, you know, these planes have such fuel capacity, so limited, that what they did is they ended up disassembling the planes, stuffing them into the cargo planes, which were smuggled out of the U.S., flying them into Israel and reassembling them. But the Americans didn't know how to fly these German planes. You know, they've been busy trying to shoot them down <laughs> in World War II, and all of a sudden they're flying them. And they were also fitted with a bomber 
um, engine because the factory that had made the proper engine for the planes had burnt down. So I think it's called a Junker Juno. Mm-hmm. They they had that engine and it threw off. It threw the torque off. It threw everything off on the plane. So they were not easy to fly. Um, and I, as I understand it, also the the machine guns that were synchronized to shoot through the propellers. Um, didn't weren't synchronized in the air, and guys were shooting off their own propellers. So this was the best they could get. This was all Israel could get, and um, they made the you know the best they could with what they had, and that's how these planes came into Israel. They were taken apart like Tinker Toys. So the people that were primarily flying these are people that volunteered to fly these aircraft, and and primarily U.S. pilots, correct? Well, truthfully, there were people from all over, but the largest number came from America, America, North America, Canada, and America. Another large percentage came from South Africa. Um, the South Africans were, were very passionate about going to Israel, um, more so than the Americans. I think the South Africans were more Zionist in their mentality, but the guys that we interviewed, the Americans, went more out of a sense of duty, and also I think they missed their action a little bit, <laughs> and their band of brothers. So, um, you know, for those reasons. So, But you had Buzz Bierling. You had Buzz Bierling, Canada's top, you know, fighter pilot from World War II, who wanted to go to Palestine. He was actually killed on his way there in Rome in a plane accident. Um, so, you know, it, it attracted lots of people, and those were all volunteers. The early push of, of pilots were all volunteers. So something that I, I didn't understand in our history here in the United States is during this period, um, you know, the war is over. There is still a lot of anti-Semitism within the United States. So, so I could see from their Correct. perspective, you know, I want to, if I'm here in the U.S. and, and Jewish, I want to jump in. I want to help. Right, right. Well, you know, it's, um, and this was all done very clandestine. You know, it was really an underground operation because... Truman was very supportive of Israel, but the State Department was not. And uh, the British basically said to America, stay out of the situation in the Middle East. It will settle. Let them fight it out over there. In two weeks, you know, we'll all still be able to go back and we still have our foot in the oil world. Um, We're not going to make enemies. Stay out of it. But what America did is they actually imposed that embargo, um, really to sort of say we're not getting involved. And the embargo was against all the combatant parties in the Middle East, not to ship any war materials whatsoever. But it really only hurt Israel because they had zero, you know, and the Egyptians were well-equipped. Um, so, yes, I, I think that was actually what, what sparked a lot of these guys to go, is that, you know, the anti-Semitism. I, I, I think that also, you know, listen, maybe if they had found jobs flying for commercial airlines and they had gotten settled in their lives, um, maybe they wouldn't have jumped so fast. But a lot of people helped out. And, you know, I'm talking pilots. There were volunteers that went there and were in ground forces and in the Navy. And there were people smuggling all kinds of stuff from America. They used to have fake funerals, and they'd bring their, their handgun souvenirs that they'd brought back from World War II, put them into caskets and send them off as if they were bodies to Israel for burial, you know. So they, they, there was a whole operation to help Israel in its time of need. And, and during this time of need, they, they brought so much material over. And, and just to understand the embargo, it really was, we, we, had, we had a neutrality, basically, agreement. And it, right. it, was, it was more military uh, 
you know, materiel and that yes, type of thing. Right. We, you know, there wasn't a right. total embargo, but you know, so of course the U.S. was supportive uh, of this this new Israel, this new nation, this new you know UN treaty. Uh, but you know, one of the things that that gets to me in this movie, you know, we're here talking to aviators, is, is the amazing passion that these people had, and the amazing personal stories that were within there, and right. and you know, you actually. You have a connection to this, and 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 first, let me let me tell you mine real quick, and I'd like you okay. to share yours. Is you know, I was watching uh, the movie, a, a preview, and there was this gentleman, Gideon Lickman, amazing <laughs> stories that he had, and and you know, this happened over sixty years later. I right. actually. Gideon was one of the people flying out of Newark Airport as a, as a young person. Oh. He watched the airplanes, and right. then I was able to fly Shimon Perez from. Oh. Newark Airport to Washington D.C. for a meeting right. with the President of the United States. Sixty years later, so I had this. I had goosebumps wow. when I saw this interview with him. Wow. Uh, so that was my, you know, my personal connection to this movie, and I, I just, I just, goosebumps came up on, uh, on me. So, what is your personal connection to this movie? You know, it, it, I probably had a lot of subconscious personal connections when I first heard about the story. What snatched me was that it was an incredible story, that I read an obituary about Al Schwimmer, and it was titled Father of the Israeli Air Force Dies at 94. So I thought for sure the next line is going to be, you know, Moshe, somebody, you know, an Israeli died. And then here it talks about Al Schwimmer, a TWA flight engineer, and how he smuggled planes and how the FBI was chasing him. So it was so incredible to think that the Israeli Air Force, which is really so celebrated as one of the top air forces in the world, was started by an American and he, with crappy planes and that the <laughs> FBI was chasing him. So that's what grabbed me. It really, you know, I, I say this sometimes, it felt like a Spielberg story, but I got it. <laughs> the little Spielberg got it right. instead of the big Spielberg, which was great. But it felt like a combination of Catch Me If You Can, Indiana Jones, and Band of Brothers, just to throw around a few of my brother's films. <laughs> and um, that got me. But when I started to really delve into it, I connected a lot with what my dad has done. My dad, thank God, at 98 is still with me, but he flew in the back of B-25s. He was Army, but he do he did radio communications. And I've gone to several bomb squadron reunions with him. And I watched him transform into a different person in front of my eyes when he was with his buddies. So I think in a lot of ways, I'm holding on to my dad and his history. And then I suddenly have this feeling that we need to get the history of these people recorded or it's gone. And I think that's how we are feeling in these days with World War II vets, with Holocaust survivors. If we don't capture their stories, they will be a part, a, a, a black hole in our, in our history, in our heritage. So that sort of really spurred me. And until I really sat with these flyboys, I don't think I got that I was feeling my dad in each of them. Um, and, and I think a lot of that you know, is where it really resonated with me. Well, I really commend you for your efforts, and Thank I think you. it's amazing what you've done here. Uh, you, you've truly captured a piece of history that's going to move forward, and I, gosh, I hope everybody watches this. But, but the other thing too, this is this is the cinematography is, is amazing. The and I think you've truly been able to keep the, uh, true to the history of the Israeli Air Force, the airplanes, and the stories. Uh, right. Were there any real challenges during this production? There were lots of real challenges. <laughs> First of all, the challenge was finding the pilots and finding these guys that could tell their story accurately. 
um, you know, there's these guys are 90 plus, between 90 and 95. And so that was one challenge. There weren't a lot of them around. The second challenge is on a documentary budget was we realized that we were going to have to do some small recreations. And I hate recreations. And I really hate... You know, when it's when they look very actory or you see fake flying sequences, it makes me want to gag. <laughs> and but as a budget, you know, I didn't have a huge budget, but I my dad was friends with this guy named Jeff Thomas, who is an aviation consultant pilot and owns, you know, um, P-51s. And he actually was the consultant that that helped build Paul Allen's um, private aviation museum up in Seattle. He helped me with everything, and he guided me to who had what planes where. And we couldn't find all the planes. You know, we wanted a Bowfighter. We wanted a Messerschmitt. We wanted a Spitfire. We really couldn't find everything. The Bowfighter, we couldn't find where we needed, and we couldn't afford to bring the planes all together. But in Duxford at the Imperial War Museum, John Romain, uh, there was a pilot there that actually had two planes. He had a, a Spitfire and he had an, um, well, it wasn't a Messerschmitt, it was an Avia, but it sort of, you know, it stood in for what we needed and that's what we did. And we used something else, um, um, not for the bullfighter, we used something for uh, a Norseman. So we tried to stay as true to accurate with the aviation details because I said this film has to hold water with the aviation community because I watch certain films, I don't want to say their names, um, where I look at the flying sequences and I go, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. You know, and how could they do that? And don't they realize it, it looks worse than a video game? So I was really trying to be very careful about that. So we flew, we only flew the uh, Avia and the Spitfire we used on the ground. And then, for what we couldn't fly, we went to Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's company, that actually from, they had done Red Tails, whether, however you feel about Red Tails and those flying sequences, I'm not sure, but they had the models. So when I said, can you do this, but I really have no money to pay you, they made me a wonderful deal. They had, you know, so they did a lot of the CGI, computer-generated imaging, to help move this film along. When we took that images, all the images, we degraded them. We made them look sort of like archival footage. We sort of dirtied them up. And uh, if something felt a little fake, we pulled away from it. And then Jeff Thomas sat there and said, your flaps are up. That's obvious you're doing this. Your flaps are down. He watched every frame of that film, and he corrected us. And he also sat in the sound and did, like, you know, making sure engine sounds were correct. So we really wanted to keep it accurate and bring people into the skies without jolting them into, oh, my God, that's fake. You know, so so really just trying to keep it seamless. And we used a lot of archival footage, which, you, you know, I know people are having a hard time seeing it, but we really did um, find wonderful archival footage of, you know, uh, fights in Israel. And then we used a lot of World War II uh, archival footage as well. You know, another, another part of this, uh, the crew here, uh, and I think she's just absolutely wonderful, uh, is Roberta. Grossman. Oh, she's wonderful. And, Our director, she's yes, wonderful. Yes, yes, and, and obviously did a, a wonderful job within this movie. And she has some experience with this in, in working with historical uh, movies and also movies about social justice. Yes, she 
she's very big on that. And it was really actually, um, and the two of us sat there saying, you know, if we don't do re- recreations and some of the CGI, this film will be titled a bunch of old guys sitting around talking. And we just didn't want that. So she just handled it beautifully. That's really why I, I took her is because she had done some recreations in the past and did them beautifully. Well, Nancy, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, uh, the, the website, Above and Beyond the Movie, is, is truly a, a nice website. And there's something that's, that caught my eye. It, it, it's you. It, it, there's a picture of you in a, lounging within an engine of it looks like a 737. Uh, yeah. Where was that taken? Tell us a little bit about uh, that. Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it was actually the engine of my brother's, one of my brother's planes. Mm-hmm. And luckily, nobody had turned it on. Yes, yes. I think is. I got yelled at later for that shot. But, <laughs> but you put it out there anyway. And I, that's well, what I love I, about it. I you. put it out there and then I said, okay, maybe we won't use that a lot more because it's really not like, you know, children don't try this at home. Right. <laughs> but that's, that was fun. I had a lot of fun. You know, I, I was um, in Chino and I was in, uh, you know, uh, lots of different places filming in old aviation museums, Farmingdale, New York. I was out in Miami. I had so much fun climbing into these planes. I think they had to help me out a few times, but I, I was really getting into it. You know, I've become a new aviation enthusiast. Well, maybe so, we'll I, get you flying, Nancy. I, you know what? I was promised a few rides, you know, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, done, you've done a wonderful job, though, and I, I've previewed the movie, and, and it's uh, a terrific film. My, the only thing is, I asked, kept asking myself, there's got to be more. I, wa- I want to see more of this. And, uh, uh, you know, there, that will be coming, correct? Well, yes. First of all, there's a couple things. Number one is we will be releasing this video on demand and DVD in the next maybe few months. I'm not exactly sure, but it will be sometime probably over the summer. And we will add DVD extras to that. Um, You know, there's part, we didn't put in Modern Air Force, which a lot of people said we wanted, but we tried, you know, in filmmaking, you have to sort of keep your story very tight. And this ended so beautifully that I couldn't really figure out how to do that, how to start putting in all these, you know, F-16s. Though I filmed them. I was on air bases and on the runway with, you know, they were just Skyhawks and F-16s taking off around me. I was deaf for the week. Um, (laughs) But uh, I also want to do the big feature film. I think this is an incredible story, and it has to be told to um, a larger audience on a big wide screen, big and bold and beautiful. So that's on my to-do list. Big and bold and beautiful. I think that describes the movie itself. I mean, this is just incredible, and it's it resonates with me. It'll resonate with many pilots and those that that really want to know the history of the Israeli Air Force, but also our history, the U.S. history, and the people that that actually sacrificed to 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 actually help these folks. You know, Nancy, I really appreciate your your talking to us today. But what what else about this movie? What's one thing? That, that sticks out in your mind about this movie, one part of this whole production process uh, that you can go back and think of that may have changed you internally? I think the most emotional piece of this for me, there's two pieces, is watching and listening to audience reaction. I was flooded with emails, a lot of them from um, United States Air Force pilots, retired active duty because there's so much respect for other countries and those that protect the skies and they you know really have a lot of respect for the Israeli Air Force um, I, so I'm overwhelmed with the reaction of the public that's seen it but watching the children of these pilots in the film watching them watch their parents 
life unfold on the screen and hit me big time because they then really got it. They didn't really get it before. They didn't get when their father told them what I did in the war and then I went off. You know, they weren't paying attention or they didn't really understand the scope. But suddenly they saw, they appreciated their parents and saw them on an even higher pedestal. And they realized that their legacy has been preserved and they are being honored in this twilight stage of their life. That is the big high for me out of this film. And it's very humbling. And, you know, I, I cry a lot. <laughs> what can I say? It's, it's really, I just respect every person that fights for our country then and now. And every time I see anybody in uniform, I want to go up and hug them. I just want to thank them. Well, Nancy, gosh, you know, you've you've brought us into the past, and uh, you've not only brought us into the past, but you've personalized it for us, and you've, you've uh, and, and, you know, I, I too would love to tell every single person out there, you know, thank you for your service, and, and thank you for what you've done. Uh, and, and this is, this, what you've done, is given us a window into the past, but not just into the historical past, but into the, the feelings, the emotions, uh, and, and the stories of the individuals. I think you've done a wonderful job. Thank Nancy, you so much. How, how can they find more about this movie and, and, and the future and the videos? Well, the best thing to do, and mostly since we're sort of an early stage of distribution, is to go to aboveandbeyondthemovie.com website, and under screenings, we'll always post information. There's even a little contact form on the bottom. And if you give us an email, we'll send you updates, you know, where you can get the film or how to download it and, you know, stream it and all that kind of stuff. So since it is evolving, um, that's the best place. And also, you know, it, it could still be playing in special screenings in different cities. Um, and we're looking at doing, we'd like to do aviation shows and museums and all that. So there's, there's uh, the life is just beginning of this film. So you, you have to stay tuned. <laughs> well, Nancy, we sure will promote this for you. And I tell you, above and beyond the untold true story of the Israeli Air Force and the story of individuals, I, I think it'll resonate with every pilot and you know with every individual. Again, above so and beyond. Much. Yes, thank you, Nancy. I thank you so much for being here. Okay, I have to come down to the show. Yes, we definitely want you at Sun and Fun, and uh, we would love to have you as a guest on the show live at Sun and Fun, so definitely come by Sun and Fun Radio. Okay, we'll do our best. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Again, this is Carl Flaherty, Sun and Fun Radio, and make sure you check out AboveAndBeyondTheMovie.com. Well, gosh, that was that was a lot of fun. I tell you, that was an incredible interview for from my perspective. Uh, it, she is she's a pip. I tell you, uh, <laughs> Nancy is is something else. Uh, one of the things uh, talk about somebody who's really down to earth, and uh, you know, I didn't realize all the history behind that uh, until I did some research, and then and of course, in her words, she told us the history of that of that movie. I don't know. Yeah, I I was that that was my first reaction was. You know, I, I'm sure, obviously, I know I studied this whole time period, you know, growing up, but but um, but then to be reminded of the close proximity of these events to the end of World War II, how that, those things were, you know, they followed sort of lockstep because of the, the way things were going. And, um, you know, and then it, 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 it was interesting to me that the, 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 the reasons the events in the, you know, the Middle East were occurring was coming out of, of everything that happened in World War II, as was the reasons that the, uh, the American pilots found a place to go 
after the war. You know, the, both parts of it. The reason those guys were involved was coming out of World War II, and the reason the the actual you know dynamic was happening was was the events of World War II. Very, very uh, big historic moments there for sure. Yes, yes, for sure. And I, um, I tell you, my my favorite parts of that whole movie were were not just the historical parts, uh, but also the little uh, nuances in the aviation. And, and how they uh, flew the airplanes over there. Uh, and remember, again, she reminds us that it wasn't just the Americans, although they played a, a great role, and this is from an American perspective, but there were people from all over the world uh, that were volunteering in this. And uh, a lot of people gave their lives uh, to help Israel uh, to become and remain a state. And uh, very, very interesting. And uh, just what was fascinating is, is the dynamics within uh, the the politics of the time, et cetera, and and understanding history. That alone, right there, if nothing else outside of aviation, is understanding the history of the time is uh, something that's really important. Now, I, I did actually get a chance to watch the movie. I uh, was able was given a preview of the movie. Lucky. Yeah, he was awesome. And uh, and also she agreed to uh, let me uh, have you guys preview it too, and unfortunately we didn't get to do that. Uh, did anybody get to preview the movie prior to this? Or just I watched a bit of the beginning. Okay, good, good. Yeah, and uh, I've just seen it. Seen it, it I was hooked right away. Yes. It's, it's it's special. Yes, it is. It is. And the, the trailer is amazing. But, uh, you <laughs> know, as it's, I, I think it, she did a wonderful job. It's very, uh, just let's talk a little bit about the cinematography and the film itself. It's a documentary. It has footage. It has a lot of history. Uh, but it also is exciting. I think. Um, Rick, I think you said it best. Yeah. Uh, as far as your feelings on this movie, well, her, yeah, I mean, I heard, in, in, as we just heard her her comments about um, wanting, needing to, and wanting to recreate the uh, the air the air to air stuff uh, scenes from the, the to look accurate to be true to the the period was you know really crucial to obviously the, the energy of the, of the film and and all of that and i think her, her line was just perfect which was you know without that stuff you you know she didn't want people to be saying oh it's very nice nice movie with a bunch of old guys you know talking and, and although they're doing more than talking they they really have a lot of passion and a lot of fun energy as well for for the lifestyles they were leading as they went through this but um yeah so Getting the material she needed to re- – I, 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 I hope to get this as a DVD so I can see the making of, so I can watch what the folks at Industrial Light and Magic did to make you know, the pieces of footage they did have mixed with CGI stuff into what looks to be you know, really – realistic stuff and Carl you compared it you compared it to another film yes it was it was very red tailish uh, uh-huh. as far as the scenes and the fighter scenes etc uh, uh-huh. some people I think uh, you know what and remember she said that in the interview she's like you know whatever you feel about red tails and and that type of cinematography I thought it was fine as a matter of fact it drew me in it got me excited I mean uh-huh. to see somebody get shot down etc I, I think they did a great job of taking the actual footage and and the generation you know the and all that into and immediately followed up with actual footage from that time of the actual plane crash which was was absolutely phenomenal i think uh, i you know what was interesting when i saw this i said to myself wow uh, they put a lot of time into this now obviously with the actual footage they didn't have to get everything correct but there were a couple scenes like you said there's a few things in there they had to had to uh, use different types of aircraft uh for the actual footage uh which was 
you know, that was fine with me. I mean, I didn't, it didn't, you didn't lose anything in the story. I was excited about it all throughout. I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, this is, you know, Godzilla, you know, like, oh my gosh, here they grab a plane out of the sky, that type of thing. So I was, I was very, very impressed with that. But you know, uh, I know you guys didn't get to see this and the whole feature length movie, but we, we really have a lot of aviation history in here and a lot of really cool airplanes that are in this film. You had, uh, amazingly enough, and I, I just, you know, a little spoiler alert. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the aviation scenes and the airplanes. I'm not going to tell you everything. Uh, but, they, you know, there's B-17s, C-47s. Uh, they had, um, let's see, you know, the Goonie Birds. Uh, they had uh, the Lockheed, uh, oh, what's that called? The Con- Excuse me, the Constellation was also part of this because remember uh they there was also a big transport part of the support here it wasn't just fighter pilots it was a whole transport part of this uh, but something that was really fascinating if, if you don't mind me getting into this right now is the they flew fighters okay remember they took fighter aircraft from different places in the world and flew them but you know one of the places they took fighters from was Czechoslovakia. Now, now roll back from 1948 hmm. a few years when who who was occupying Czechoslovakia? It was Nazis and it was Hitler. And wow. The the Messerschmitt the ME109 was built in Czechoslovakia. And to tie it in with today, and this is where my my mind went when I heard this, was oh my gosh, you know, now we're doing the same thing with light sport. I mean, how many light sport aircraft come from oh, yeah. Czechoslovakia? So huh. I'm thinking in my mind, there's this talent pool that's been left there for so many years that maybe that's that's why there are so many aircraft that come over from there. At least I, I like to think of it that way. Uh, I know there's going to be some comments on, on that comment that I just made, but the, the factory that was building the ME-109 was still there, and they were still manufacturing this aircraft. Now... The problem is it wasn't a true ME-109, okay? It's still, it's not a Messerschmitt. And they, they had another uh, term that I can't mention here on the show as far as the Mesher blank that they called it because it didn't fly quite like a Messerschmitt. The engine that was placed in the aircraft wasn't the original engine because when the Allies went and bombed Czechoslovakia and moved in, they destroyed one of the plants there. And the plant that they destroyed was the one for the engine. So they actually had to take engines out of a bomber put it into this, and they had to take other parts from other different areas because certain parts for the engines, obviously, they had to manufacture themselves. So you're talking about, you're talking a Messerschmitt, but not really. It's something that's been pieced together really quickly. And then what happens? they got to learn how to fly this thing. And, and now they're <laughs> sitting there, and they're, they're learning to fly. First of all, they're, they're mostly, you know, Americans and mostly, you know, British. And now they're flying a, a German aircraft. They're flying this aircraft they have know nothing about, and they're trying to figure out how to use a star and airplane. And, uh, and another part of this, and this will be my last spoiler in the, in the whole film, that I thought was the, one of the best stories, was one of the gentlemen, one of the pilots, gets in to one of the Messerschmitts. Now, when they, they shipped them over to Israel, they had to take them apart. Okay, They manufacture them, then they have to take them apart and put them in transport aircraft, get them to Israel, and put them back together. Well, normally, what do you do when you put a plane back together? You test fly it, right? Well, <laughs> they didn't have that much time. So here they are putting the aircraft together. They really couldn't test fly them. And, you know, they just started them up and took off. Tell you what, I would be awful scared doing something like that. And and what was interesting is one of the pilots gets up there, starts flying around, and they get involved in a dogfight. And the person in front of them, 
He's, you know, he's the following aircraft. The lead aircraft starts shooting. Well, he's sitting there saying to himself, wait a minute. I forgot where the guns are in this thing. I don't know how to <laughs> fire this thing. Whoa. <laughs> so he's flying around and he's trying to figure this out. So he's going in. He said, well, maybe I'll pretend I'm going to fire it. And so he follows around and finally he figures out where the guns are, et cetera. And they were able to go ahead and, and start shooting at the, at the other aircraft. Uh, but that was like the neatest story because here they, it, re- it reminds me of a Bob Hoover moment. You know, when Bob Hoover went behind the lines and takes off in an airplane he knows nothing about and then decides to start fighting with it. And it's just phenomenal that, that these guys were so brave. Well, you know, brave or just had no brains. I'm not sure what it is, but I tell you, that's it's, it's a lot of chutzpah uh, is, is a great way probably to describe a, probably it. Probably a lot of confidence coming out of oh, uh, World yeah. War II, you know, <laughs> successfully. Yes, yes. And loving to fly, and you've got to be, you got to know what you're doing, and clearly they did. Yes, they did. And they, they truly did know how to fly. It's just... Uh, I, I just would have been so nervous uh, going up there saying, gosh, I don't even know how to fire this thing, and I've got all these Spitfires coming after me. Uh, and remember, I just said Spitfires, so some people say, wait wait a minute, you know, that's British. Well, you know, a lot of the Arab forces, especially Egypt, had, had Spitfires. So uh, remember, they were fighting against these really good aircraft. Eventually, they did get some of these other aircraft, and, and that was quite interesting, how they were able to acquire those aircraft and, and fight in the war. But that, those were some of the, the most amazing stories. And uh, I really, I, I think that you know we we have to give these people really a lot of credit. No matter where you, you stand on this politically and the the whole situation, uh, uh, you got to give them a, a lot of credit for what they did to, to help these people survive. Um, and uh, and I uh, the 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 and then the other moment in the movie had nothing to do with aviation, but was the real big tearjerker movement moment for me. Uh, you have to see the last ten minutes. Um, and I'll just say one thing, seeing all those people walking in, uh, with tattoos, with numbers on their arms from Auschwitz and from all the different, uh, European concentration camps was, was something else. Uh, and that was the reason that they fought is to make sure that these people weren't exterminated. So that was just, just absolutely wild. Uh, but uh, anyway, guys, I've, I've talked a little bit about those parts of the movie. Is there anything else in the movie that, or the trailers that you saw that you, that really impressed you guys? Well, I was I touched on it earlier. The the pat I I didn't track it completely, but flying the planes that they had to fly from or getting themselves from country to country, right? right. I mean, how did they? Uh, that that seemed and, and it seemed fun <laughs> for them, uh, given their their point in their lives that they were at. It was looked like they were having a blast, and it also looked kind of tricky <laughs> to do, right? Well, tricky and and like you said, with the fun part uh, under the radar. Oh my gosh. You know, think about this. They they flew at one point under the flag of of uh, at one some of the people did uh, Panamanian Airlines. Uh, you know, they were friendly to the cause, and they started up this. Uh, it was a fake airline, of course. And and think about this: a bunch of guys, young, good-looking guys, twenty years old, hanging out in Panama. Uh, they got themselves into a lot of trouble, and and there's a <laughs> lot of stories about about what they did and and uh, and the people they got to be friendly with. It was just just hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Uh, as far as the other part of the aviation, uh, th- there was actually bombers in this. Remember, uh, one of the other things they were able to get would be 17 bombers, and that was absolutely phenomenal because of the fact that, you know, I don't think anybody knew that these folks had any of these, these weapons. Uh, and, and truly, without this Air Force, without the beginning of the Israeli Air Force, there is no way that this— 
they would have survived. I think they would have just, you know, blown them off the, the planet, all the Israelis. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, going back, uh, uh, I think a lot of people are under the misconception that they we could have just sent military uh, materiel there. And, you know, as Nancy said, you know, you, you can't do that uh, because there was an embargo. As a matter of fact, the person who's, quote unquote, the father of Israeli Air Force was an American and uh, you know, he he couldn't. He lost his citizenship over this, and uh, it wasn't till, oh, what was it? Uh, I think uh, who was it? President Clinton actually finally pardoned him. I mean, think about how many years later that is, uh, and you know, was able to get pardoned that many years later. So that was that was quite interesting. But uh, Sean, is there any any, uh, any interesting things uh, in in that preview trailer interview that you you really were impressed with? Well, you know, and and she talked a little bit about it in in the interview was the way they were able to get some of the special effects done, but still kind of make it look like archival footage a little bit, so it doesn't didn't look too out of place. Um, it's I, I've only watched the trailer; I haven't actually watched the full length uh, the movie yet, but I'm really looking forward to seeing more of that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, the, the, putting these people in place. Uh, for these interviews, I'm, I, I think was one of the the funnest parts in the movie. I think from from what she you know said to me, and I just hearing those stories and uh, like they were like little kids. I think the neatest part for me is when when they put those people next to their pictures of when they were in their twenties. I saw them when they were interviewing them. Of course, they're old and have gray hair, but when I saw them in the in the interview. Even though they had gray hair, I saw them as a child, as a twenty-year-old, and they and that passion they had for aviation, they absolutely loved what they did. A lot of these people went on to, some became teachers, uh, some actually flew for El Al, uh, some flew for like TWA, uh, some of these folks uh, went back and became flight instructors, etc. So, so they went back to all these different different backgrounds, and and that I thought was phenomenal. Um, and Victoria, was there anything in there that that you you were you know sh- you know shined in in your viewpoint? Yeah, just um, one thing in the beginning that really caught my attention and made me think even about our veterans now is that these gentlemen were returning from the war and basically had to pick up their lives again and didn't know what to do. They felt like they lost their sense of purpose when they were fighting uh, during World War II. They had a sense of purpose. They knew what they were supposed to do. And they come back to the States and are, you know, okay, what, where do I start? What do I do now? And that was something that compelled them uh, to go over and fight this one. And it, it really actually got me thinking about our veterans, especially now people coming back and having to pick up their lives and learn new skills and the importance of um, a lot of charities we have like Wounded Warrior and things like that to, uh, you know, give people back that sense of purpose. So that's awesome. that's one strange thing that just popped in my head when I was watching this. You know that's interesting. You said that because uh, you know in the movie, you'll, when you, I hope everybody gets to watch this. Uh, it's interesting, and I, I'm trying not to spoil it. When you see how they recruited these individuals, uh, they didn't just go out on the street and put a big flag up and say, "Hey, do you want to join the Israeli Air Force, etc." Uh, they went out and hunted these people down. Uh, not hunted, or did a lot of research, I should say, almost like a hunt, but. What was amazing is exactly what you just said, Victoria, is that here are these people, they have this skill, and when they were asked, almost everyone said, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. 
There was no hesitation. Like, I have this mm-hmm. skill. I'm a fighter pilot, and I want to go back to being a fighter pilot. You know, I may be out on Wall Street, or I may be teaching, or I might be doing something else, but immediately I'm going to jump into this. So that that was pretty amazing. But uh, anyway, well, well, gosh, that, uh, anything else, guys? Because before we move on to our next topic, I, I just... You know, again, the the links will be here for the the interview and the movie. Is there anything else you want to you want to talk about as far as aviation was concerned in this movie? I think no. We, yeah, I think we pretty yeah. much covered it all because we we've come you know with all the interview, you know, we've kind of run up our our time here, and uh, I I'm just surprised at at how much how much passion there was in Nancy. And I tell you, Nancy Spielberg, I will watch the rest of the movies you put together. I think uh, was a great is a great producer. Um, and, and I appreciate the fact that, that she did what she did and, and that she continues to, to move forward with more projects and she's become a little bit more involved in aviation. As a matter of fact, uh, I think that after the interview, I may have convinced her to go up uh, flying sometime in a small airplane, not one that's, that has jet engines on it. So that, that'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. So Nancy, if you're at Sun and Fun or if you're at Oshkosh this year, we're going to try to get you up in an airplane, especially one of the ones that, uh, you know, one of the historic aircraft. And that's really the tie-in to, to, you know, with us in general aviation, you know, we love airplanes. We love the history of airplanes, and we love how these tools have been used, the airplane that is, in both wars and also peacetime. And and to watch the lineage of an aircraft and, and to watch its history and watch how it's been reused over and over and over again, it, it just is absolutely fascinating to see something that was used in the war, placed in the desert, uh, to rot and then be brought back like a new, you know, a phoenix rising out of the desert and placed into a situation like this and actually saving lives was was phenomenal. So absolutely love this. Well, gosh, you know, we've kind of run out the clock on this episode just talking about this, but I, I do want to, uh, I think we have a couple picks of the week uh, that we need to go over first. And, and if you want to find out more about this movie, I really highly, highly recommend you're watching Above and Beyond, The Untold True Story. Remember that they're going to have uh, a DVD with a lot of the other interviews, the making of, all these neat things in there. You can find trailers to this at aboveandbeyondthemovie.com. Uh, you also learn a little bit uh, of the story behind Nancy Spielberg and also behind uh, some of the logos that were put on the airplane, some really cool pictures, and some some amazing uh, different interviews. Uh, and that's, that's all I'll say on that. And join the mailing list. You know, I, I, I'd go out there and do that. Our Picks of the Week. Anyway, uh, getting to our now moving on to our picks of the week. Uh, let's see, Rick, did you have a pick of the week this week? Yes, um, I did. It's uh, it's in the sort of in the vein of what we of what we do <laughs> twice a month with this show, um, which is um, just something that I've come across that if you aren't using now is just a great uh, podcasting app for listening to podcasts um, on iOS, um, and it is called Overcast, and I highly recommend that. Uh, if you are in, at all into regularly listening to podcasts, that you try it out. Um, it does a lot of great. It's it's beautifully designed. It does a lot of great things well in terms of of auto downloads and uh, and uh, tracking. You know what you're listening to and whatever. But but the thing it does best, um, one of the things it stands out for, and has reason it's become very popular, is it has um, a couple of very clever auto speed features that don't just allow you to speed up the podcast, but where there are spaces in the data, it shortens those spaces up. So 
um, there's a lot of time saving if you're listening to a lot of podcasts without having to rush the audio quality, rush the speed. Um, and it's, it's sort of become known for that. In fact, inside of it, if you, after you've been using it for a while, there's a stat for how much time you've saved based on your listening you know, adjustments. And you can vary those adjustments by uh, podcast. So you can say, this one, the way they do this show doesn't work so well to speed up, or I don't want to speed it up. But this other one, it sounds great if I just pitch it or speed it up and use the use the tools that the the uh, app provides to to <clears throat> take out those spaces. So um, highly recommended. It. It's not it's not ultra cheap. It's not you know it's not free or ninety nine cents. But um, if you're a podcast listener, I mean, it's I don't know what it is five bucks or something. I don't know. Um, it's it's well worth it and it is becoming kind of one of the standard podcasting uh, apps out there for iOS. So it's called Overcast. Overcast and and that that would uh, help our audience also in, in listening to other podcasts because uh, you won't have to worry about all those spaces because we have one of the, the best producers of, and editors of our of a podcast <laughs> out there and that's Rick Felty. Oh oh yeah oh, that's right oh, yes. brilliant it's brilliant <laughs> he's brilliant you. yes and, and you know it's interesting you said that because amazingly enough there is a lot of space left in a lot of these podcasts and uh, and I know there's a lot of us that love to listen I to mean, aviation podcasts all the time and you're sitting it, there like come on know, it, it pulls in all the show notes that are attached to each episode oh cool now you click on a little information about that and all the stuff comes in with pictures i'm looking at ours right now um it's it's a great it's a great tool um a guy named marco arment who's uh, a good uh, famous uh, tech kind of creator um has built it and it's mostly because he listened he listened to podcasts and said you know i think i can do this better and he has so cool and uh, yeah, I, I'll send you. I'll send you the link. Cool, awesome, great, great. And uh, so I will. I'm actually going to look into that app myself. That looks really, really cool. Um, anyway, thanks for that, uh, Sean. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week this time is a website called The Art of Aircraft. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this. It was a sponsored link on my Facebook page one day, and I, I clicked on it, and it's really, really cool. It's um, collections of different aviation-themed artwork, and there's all different styles. Some of it is kind of abstract. Um, some is, is sort of black and white of, of classics and warbirds. And then some of them are are photoreal. It, they clearly didn't actually do this, but it looks almost like they've put GoPros on the exteriors of airliners and got these just amazing looking pictures of, uh, there's one where it, it appears as if the, you know, there's a camera behind the, the left main gear as the, an airplane's on approach. I mean, just gorgeous. Uh, I don't know if they're 3d renders or exactly how they've done these, um, and then there are some vintage travel posters, which I always find really, really interesting. Um, but uh, it's it's well worth a look just to click through. If you've got uh, an aviation cave in your house, then uh, these would definitely go well up on the wall. It's theartofaircraft.com. Cool. That sounds awesome. I, I know I'll be watching that quite a bit after this uh, podcast here. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sean. And Victoria, what is your pick of the week? Um, my pick of the week is the AOPA National Aviation Community Center. It's actually where we hosted Paws and Planes this past weekend. It was a large hangar that um, it had, had some wear and tear. It didn't look like the prettiest over the past few years, and AOPA has now leasing it and cleaned it up real nice. And it's now a place for people to go on the field to um, – there's flight simulators, including a full motion Redbird flight sim – 
and there's a area for ground school. We host a lot of events there. Um, the IMC club has been meeting there. There's safety seminars there. It's really turned into, well, a community center for the pilots. So it was a great venue for Paws and Planes, and I'd like to thank AOPA for uh, letting me use that. Cool, cool. We'll have a, a link to that also. Well, thanks, Victoria. Well, I guess that leaves it to me with the last uh, pick of the week. And, and this is apropos for our, our discussion on this movie. It's called The Bent Prop Project. And uh, I've talked a little bit about this in the past, but bentprop.org. And this is what a, you know, if you're looking at something like a feature-length movie that we just talked about, you'll see the difference when you look here at this, even though this was on 60 Minutes, etc., uh, this this is something that, that you really will look at and say, wow, there is a big difference. Great information here. But this is truly a documentary. And it's an excellent documentary about folks that went looking in the Western Pacific Islands for some specific airplanes that went down in the ocean. And they went to look for, I think, one, two, three airplanes. They came up with about 60 of them. Uh, so it's the story oh. of these folks going out there. So absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Speaking of GoPro, they use a lot of GoPro in this. Uh, so, and, and this was actually on 60 Minutes with uh, Anderson Cooper, so the Bent Prop Project. The After Landing Checklist. Um, oh, and Eric Crump, by the way, we forgot to mention Eric Crump couldn't make it. He had a last-minute uh, thing at the school he had to take care of uh, over there at Polk State College, which is moving right along very quickly. A pretty, pretty awesome stuff that they're doing over there with the school. Uh, he wanted to be here but could not, so we'll just, we'll just give a plug there to the, to the Polk State College. Well, folks, that's it uh, that we have for you this evening. I hope you enjoy the interview uh, with Nancy Spielberg and our discussion. And, hey, thanks thanks for uh, listening to us. We want uh, to also put out there that we do have a Facebook page that uh, we've started up again in the past few months, and we'd like you to go out there and like us. We're going to start putting more information and pictures out on the Facebook page. Just a Facebook. It's Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, You can find it there. You'll also find uh, a link over on uh, stuckmikeavcast.com. You can find the show notes here and also the links that we talk about, stuckmikeavcast.com slash 91. And you can also find our favorite flying dog, Turbo the Flying Dog. There is a a picture of Turbo in the top right corner. If you want to look at the book, click on there. Uh, By purchasing the book there, it actually helps fund the podcast too. And, uh, you know, folks, one more thing before we go. If I know... We all talked about the passion of aviation. Uh, Some of us have the opportunity, are really blessed to go out and fly almost every day. Uh, But you know what? No matter what it is you do and and where you are right now listening to this, if you haven't flown in a while, whatever it is, do something today that's going to actually increase your passion for aviation or do something that will actually add to aviation to your life somehow. Go pick up a magazine. You know, watch a movie. Watch the trailer to this movie. Do do something. Do something today to actually to move the passion for aviation forward. Well, folks, that's it for uh, from Rick Felty and also Victoria Zyko and Sean Moody and Eric Crump, Carl Valeri. We appreciate your listening to this podcast, and we hope to see you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike Appcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.